Hey everyone, I'm Chris Hall and you're listening to the Downtime Podcast, where we delve deep into the gravity-based side of mountain biking. First up, I want to thank our supporting partners who make this podcast possible, and this month that's We Are One Composites and Shimano. If you've been listening for a while, you'll know that I love We Are One wheels. I've been riding them for nearly four years, and in that time, they've not even needed to be shown a spoke key, and they're still perfectly true. The ride quality is great, somehow finding a balance between tracking and going where you point them without being so stiff that they ping you off every little obstacle on the trail. I'm running a mullet setup with the slightly lighter Faction 29er up front and the tougher Union 275 out the back. The finish is immaculate both inside and out, and you just know that We Are One care about making the best rims on the planet. We Are One don't like to stand still, and they now also make handlebars, and last year released their very own bike, The Arrival. I've not had the chance to ride them, but from what I know about We Are One and from the reviews I've read, they've smashed it out the park there too. As a downtime listener, you can get 15% off all rim-only products from We Are One during the month of March. All you need to do is to use the code WEARRIMS2022. That's WEARRIMS, all one word, all lowercase, followed by the number 2022 at the checkout over on weareonecomposites.com. That's WEARRIMS, all lowercase, 2022. Recently, Shimano launched a brand new flat pedal shoe, which is called the GR9. The new GR9 features their very own in-house developed Ultred sole, which has been gravity optimised to strike the perfect balance between grip and durability. I'm a month or so into riding with the shoes now and I'm really happy with them. They're super comfy straight out of the box, both on and off the bike. I personally like to feel connected to the bike, but not so locked onto the pedal that I can't reposition my foot easily and make micro adjustments as I ride. The Ultred sole delivers that feeling perfectly. I did a lot of riding on a really rocky trail last week and I didn't have any issues with my feet getting bounced on the pedals. It was also a three hour ride in constant rain and the shoes were only slightly damp at the end of the ride despite being covered in mud and water. They also kept my feet warm for the duration despite it only being four degrees C so pretty happy with that. The new GR9 with its gravity optimised old tread sole comes in two simple colourways, one black, one white and it's available now from your local Shimano dealer or you can check it out at mtb.shimano.com. If you want to support what I'm doing, then you can do that by grabbing yourself some downtime merch over at downtimepodcast.com forward slash shop. There's t-shirts, sweatshirts, hoodies, shorts and joggers. It's all organic, made with a supply chain using renewable energy, printed to order and shipped using no single use plastics. All the links you need for all of this stuff are in the show notes for this episode over on downtimepodcast.com. The last thing you want to do is go and miss an episode of the show, so make sure you're following us wherever it is you listen. There's probably going to be a button there that says follow or subscribe, so hit that now. If you can't find the button, then downtimepodcast.com forward slash subscribe has got links to all the major podcast platforms to help you get sorted. Also give us a follow on Facebook and Instagram where we're at Downtime Podcast. That way you'll be able to keep up to date with what we're up to and never miss a thing. All right, today I'm joined by up and coming enduro racer Chloe Taylor. Chloe comes from a background of high-level BMX racing, but more recently moved over to race the Enduro World Series. We chat about Chloe's journey so far and find out what it's like trying to work towards being a full-time professional EWS racer. Chloe is a super passionate racer who's clearly gone all in to follow her dream, constantly pushing to take things to the next level. We hear Chloe's thoughts on bike setup, training, the importance of social media and much more. So without further ado, here's Chloe Taylor. Chloe Taylor, welcome to the Downtime Podcast. How's it going? Yeah, good. Thanks for having me. I'm I'm a little bit nervous, not going to lie. This is only my second podcast, so hopefully we'll ease ourselves in. <laughs> yeah, we'll keep it nice and easy and just chat about bikes. It's all good, isn't it? Yeah, all good, good fun. Good stuff. All right, well, yeah, tell us a little bit like about the early days and how bikes came into your life because you grew up in quite a, a sporty house, yeah? 
Yeah, very sporty house. Um, yeah, so ever since I can remember, really, I've been riding a bike. Um, like I say, my family, very bike-orientated. Um, all I remember really is spending weekends in the camper van with the family with um, BMX bikes, travelling the world pretty much, uh, which is, yeah, uh, very good memories, very good memories. Um, yeah, it's nice. So basically we all race BMX. Uh-huh. Um, so my dad, my brother, my sister um, all race BMX from a very young age. So I was, I was about six when I started competing. Okay. Um, and then... Like pretty much straight away was going to Europe and stuff just on the weekends, just nipping over to Europe as you do. Yeah. Um, which sounds very um like <laughs> very spoiled, which I guess I was. Um, but yeah, traveling to Europe and then back at school on a Monday morning was um, <laughs> back to reality, which I remember. I remember like getting back really late in an eve on the Sunday evening, like my dad waking me up because we'd used to sleep in the back while my dad would drive home and I remember him like waking us up and taking us to bed and then Monday mornings oh I remember (laughs) that being a big shock um but yeah so used to used to compete in the BMX right up until I was 18 actually so pretty new to mountain biking really Um, so have you got brothers and sisters then yeah yeah so I've got a older sister and a younger brother um So Abby, my sister, she she actually got onto like the British British cycling team and actually went to a reserve um, to the London Olympics, which wow. is uh, pretty cool. Um, yeah. And yeah, so we're all very bikey family and uh, and very competitive. I'm sure you can imagine a Christmas in the Taylor family is uh, <laughs> <laughs> is full of arguments <laughs> um, cool. and fighting over board games. Uh, so yeah, definitely come from coming from that is pretty cool and like something I feel very privileged by. Um, yeah, and nice. it's definitely formed me into the person I am today, which is something I wouldn't change for the world for sure. Yeah. And so lots of racing experience from a young age. Then you got pretty serious with the BMX side of things, right? Yeah. So um, I used to, like I say, because I was I raced it until I was about eighteen, and actually raced some of the World Cups. Um, the Supercross World Cups, um, which was obviously the highest level you could get to, really. Um, but, yeah, they actually dropped the funding for the women in BMX when I was just moving up to Elite. So it's kind yeah. of uh, a bit of a kick in the teeth and, like, okay, what do I want to do here? Because it's very hard in BMX to make a living out of it and... and uh, and yeah, so that then I kind of got to a crossroads, and I was like, "Do I try something new?" And which is was very scary at the time because BMX was all I'd ever known. And yeah, how stru- big- how structured were things for you then? Like as far as sort of training and nutrition and all that kind of stuff. Like, was it getting pretty serious on that side? Yeah, it was getting. I was I was training like really hard for the BMX, and and like I say, it was it was scary because it was like from six to. 18 is a, it's a long time and yeah. um to make that step to jump into the unknown was pretty scary but I mean now like I look back and thank thank god I did that because I'm so happy with where I am at the moment and and slowly working my way up that ladder 
like I did from six to 18. It's like a new chapter, I guess. Um, yeah, sure. Were you getting yeah. much support then in those kind of those BMX days from like, I don't know, British cycling or brands to help you like, uh, learn how to train and how to be in yeah, the best state I guess- for it? Well, more more or less, I was just following in my sister's footsteps. She was on the British cycling team, so I just kind of followed in her footsteps in whatever Abby did I wanted to do. <laughs> um, yeah, so I guess I just followed that in the training sense. Uh, I, um, I wasn't on the BC team as such. Um, it was more just off my own back. Obviously, having a few brands involved that just would like help me out with bikes and whatnot. But in BMX, it's it's very different to mountain biking. It's it's like you're on the British cycling or you you're not kind of thing. So it's, yeah. there's not really many stepping stones as such in terms of brands on board with riders. It's more like the national in, national team that support riders. Um, but yeah. So, but yeah, so BC pulling the plug on on the the women's funding was kind of the end of it for you, I guess. Hard to make yeah. it work. Yeah, hard to make it work, and and yeah, when something like that happens, it was just like because they were still funding the men, and it was kind of showed the sport in a bad light, I guess. Yeah, for um, sure. But I mean, nowadays, I, I think they they put they've put money back into it since obviously the recent success in the BMX at the Olympics, which is I'm buzzing for them guys. I remember. I was pretty similar ages to Kai and Beth, and uh, yeah, it's so good to see because it'll have inspired so many young kids to go out on the BMX and find a local BMX club, which is so good, so good. I- I'm hoping that that means better, th- better things for the-, the BMX side of things. Definitely, yeah, it seems to be heading in a better direction. So, was it yeah. was it long for you from stepping away from BMX before you ended up on a mountain bike? Uh, no, so it's pretty much like okay let's try it let's let's go and see what this mountain bike's about um I had some friends from where I'm from in Sheffield that that used to ride because because it's such a small community in Sheffield like um if you're into bikes you're like in the com- community um and yeah so I just went out with some friends on the mountain bike and uh yeah hooked ever since I guess were you pretty quick straight away like what what kind of transferred across from bmx for you uh i think just being pretty uh i guess naive a little bit i was just like well i can ride a bike so i can ride a mountain bike like it's just the same so i guess i probably looking back i probably just like saw it as like they were they were the same so just probably took myself in at the deep end and just went as fast as I could because I remember crashing a lot because it is <laughs> it is so different like just not thinking of anything of going fast over routes and and now looking back I mean it's probably a good thing because I mean I wish I could do that now <laughs> not <laughs> not actually realize like the fear aspect of it and uh and not realize that like maybe you do need to slow down to then travel over routes and stuff like that um but yeah, I, I mean, not to toot my own horn, but I, I imagine that, like they it crosses over really well. Um, I'm glad I've come from the background I've come from because, yeah, I feel like the bike handling skills, like it's proven there's plenty of people that have come from BMX and crossed over to mountain biking. So, yeah, I think I started in the right place. <laughs> yeah, and confident in the air, I guess, because some of the features on those Supercross 
like BMX races yeah. are huge, right? Yeah, yeah, no, definitely, definitely that crossed over quite well because nowadays, well, I mean, in enduro, we don't get that many jumps, but when we do, uh, a lot of the girls definitely are a bit nervous about that, and and luckily, I've got that experience to be like, oh yes, we finally got a jump in a stage. <laughs> this is my time to shine. <laughs> Perfect, and and things like rhythm and timing, I guess, like there's a lot of that that comes across as well. Yeah, I mean. You don't realise it just because that's second nature to me. But, um, but yeah, definitely having them skills definitely helps. And like I say, just because it's second nature, I don't think about it that much, which is nice. Yeah. And was it, I guess, just a natural progression for you to want to go racing on a mountain bike? Like, did that take long? Yeah, no, definitely. Like, because the scary part from moving away from BMX was that I'd got to the the highest level and I was scared of moving away from that and then having to work my way back up um which which is why I think I did tweed love enduro first and um I mean I was not used to the big days out on the bike I'm used to like a 30 second flat out sprint so it was definitely a shock to the system having to make yourself last um like five hours out on the bike that was definitely a shock um but yeah, I just remember it being so much fun and like the enduro side of stuff, especially is just like a day out with your mates, which is the reason I think everybody enjoys it so much. And it's so accessible to so many people. Definitely. Um, I think the first race I remember seeing you at was Steel City downhill, the, yeah. the biggest little downhill race in the UK. I think it was back in 2017, you were second to Tracy Mosley there. So that must've felt pretty good. Yeah. I think that was the first, I think that could have been my first race actually. Yeah, no, I, I I remember that well, and yeah, I guess it was probably from that moment on. Especially with, I mean, I don't know if pe- if people have been to to the biggest um, little race of the UK, but it's such a great scene there, and like, because obviously that's my local, and um, so every, you know everybody there, and it's a such a great event. I remember being hooked from that. Yeah, I've never I've never been to an event where the crowd is like world cup level in this tiny little bit of woods it's yeah, mad, it's eh? so, so nuts so nuts i mean it's it's back again this year which i cannot wait for because thank god it doesn't clash with anything anything else that i had planned because that i'm <laughs> sure that'll be a i mean i think it's two is it two years that they've not been doing yeah, it yeah it will be yeah yeah so it'll be a i'm sure it'll be a big one which will be exciting yeah, good to have it back on the calendar for sure. So was there was there a lot like training wise then that had to change? Like like you say, you were you were built for power and explosion and thirty seconds races mm-hmm. kind of thing. How how did you get yourself ready and prime for enduro racing? Uh, I mean, it definitely it's definitely taken me a while, um, just because like my body's had to change quite a lot to to be able to be ready for them like big days out on the bike. Um, but I think I'm still, I'm still pretty strong in terms of, I think I'm naturally strong anyway. Um, so I kind of more focused on making sure that I was going out on big rides and getting used to big rides out, out in the saddle. Um, yeah, but I mean, I'm still learning. I think, I think, enduro especially because it's such a such a new sport nobody knows a certain recipe to be a good enduro racer and there's not a certain body type that is a good enduro racer like when you look at if you'd lined everybody up everybody is so different 
so different. And I guess just making sure that you're not just playing to your strengths. Well, obviously play to your strengths, but um, you have to focus on the stuff that you're not good at. Uh-huh. Um, as as annoying as that may feel, um, yeah, I think it's it's so important to not just focus on like things you're good at and like because I could just go go to the gym and just get really strong and but then if you ask me to pedal around for sit for the whole whole day I'd struggle um so yeah it's very different in that respect yeah for sure. yeah fair play and it wasn't it wasn't long before you started uh hanging out with the go on girls how how did you meet Bex and Martha was that just through like being in Sheffield yeah, so Bex is pretty, was local to me anyway, and I think it was more my first full season at EWS. I was like, okay, I kind of need to find someone to stay with because otherwise this is going to get really expensive. <laughs> and I think I reached out to Martha and uh, and got in touch with her, and then ever since then, like just this, yeah, good vibes, and got to know them too, which obviously with the go on stuff uh, is so good to be a part of and. We all have very similar views to what we want to get across in the community and just get people stoked on bikes and not and not feel silly to try daft stuff um, and stuff that you might not be able to achieve at the end of it. But it's all about just having fun with your mates, really, and people respond to that so well. Yeah, 100%. And it, it wasn't long for kind of in your racing career before you went and had a pop at an EWS, I think the first one was Ulag in 2018. Yeah. Was that an obvious choice then after you'd done a couple of injuries and enjoyed those, like like you say, big days out with your mates? Yeah, I think, I think I'd only done like maybe two enduros before entering that because I was just like, right, I'm just going to throw myself in at the deep end. If this, if this is the level I've got to be at, why not go and like chuck myself in and, and try it and see, see, see what the crack is and, I mean, I went to that one in France and I've been told that that's the gnarliest EWS to ever happen. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, definitely threw myself in at the deep end for sure. Um, but yeah, and I just remember, I mean, I just remember trying to get round because I was like, it was really hot, a massive day out and the tracks were gnarly. So I just remember like, just just surviving, just just to survive that weekend was a bonus because I know a lot of people did not survive that weekend <laughs> because, yeah, I think it was that point in EWS where each round would get more and more, like, technical and bigger and, and yeah, I remember. And then when everybody was saying, I remember an interview with Richie Rude, actually, and he, he just said, for any amateurs that, that even like completed that race like fair play um which to me to be honest look like I remember that just like buzzing on on the ride in there so then when people said that I was like oh maybe I am like half good at this because like to me it just seemed quite normal because I guess I didn't know any any different I was just like this is an EWS sweet cool (laughs) if this is if this is what it is this is what it is and then and then I just remember, I think I remember getting home from that and, and being like, right, I want to do another one. And then I did another one that year as well. Um, yeah. No messing. Yeah. And, it, and then 2019, right, I'm all in. I'm going to do a full EWS season. <laughs> how how yeah. did you go about putting that together? Because it's, it's a lot of money to get around a whole season, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Um, I just 
worked whenever I could pretty much um I remember working my granddad's got a farm and I remember saying to him like I can come and work a couple of days like on the farm I remember doing that and uh, I remember having I think I had a a job in a in a pub or something just like waitressing like just I think I had like three different jobs that that off season just trying to like get money together um yeah I mean it's tight but if it's what you want to do you've got to you've got to pull pull something out the bag and I'm so glad I did that I remember having such a good time because there was no pressure um I was just like just going for the experience because um like so there's quite a lot of girls now on the circuit that have been doing it a while and I think the just having the experience behind you of like the different the different trails different terrain like is plays a big part in enduro I think for sure like just the experience of being able to manage yourself over that week like of practice and race and yeah so just trying to take it all in and obviously we went to Whistler that year as well and I remember having such a good time I remember doing Dirt Merchant with uh, with Martha and Katie and we followed Matt Stuttard, Matt Stuttard in and we'd not seen any of it. And we literally, like, we were going to do the, the – there was a new light, new Dirt Merchant and the old one, and we were going to do the old one and Matt was at the top and he was like, oh, no, just follow me in. And stupid, we all, we all turned around and went, yeah, let's just do it. And we literally went down in a train <laughs> – and I remember just like I was at the back don't know how I'd end up at the back because I hate being at the back of a train because <laughs> it just gets slower and slower towards the back of the train yeah um and it was Matt Katie Martha and me and we just screamed the whole way down and we did it all <laughs> and it's such a good like my favorite memory and we did it all and I just remember like we just screamed the whole way down we actually we went into one of the jumps and I think Finn Isles was stood on the side and we and we were just screaming. I just remember thinking, God, what must he be thinking? Stood <laughs> on the side of like a hip jump. I was like, oh, but it was so good. So yeah, some good memories from 2019. Just stacking, just stacking the uh, memories and and the uh, confidence from from the races for sure. Wicked and a nice, like obviously a welcoming scene. Did you find it kind of easy to become part of it and be welcome there? Yeah, like, yeah, like even now, like it's so, so approachable and everyone's so like, it's just like a big family that, that travels around to these different like little places. And yeah, I feel like I fit, I fit right in. And yeah, like I say, it's so nice to be a part of, like, it's not, there's no egos, I don't think for sure. That's cool. How do you get on with the bike sort of side of things? Because BMXs are pretty simple things, really, in the grand scheme. Mountain bikes, yeah. not so much, especially these no. days. A lot to learn, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I've definitely had a, had my moments of having to ask people certain things or can you do this? Because it's definitely taken me a while to learn. I mean, I'm still learning, I'll admit. Um, yeah, and like there's just so many different elements compared to a BMX like pretty much a BMX as long as you keep it clean you're pr normally pretty sweet yeah um whereas a mountain bike like especially the enduro because especially in enduro because you've got to make sure your bike can last for that week yeah <laughs> uh so that side of stuff was definitely scary um 
but yeah and then even even now like learning like suspension setup is, is still still puzzles my mind i i must admit <laughs> uh, i'm slowly learning but but yeah like having to work out like what works for you like when someone i mean nowadays i think i'm getting better but like when someone had asked like is your bike set up right i'd be like i don't know like you tell me <laughs> it bounces you... uh, i can pedal it <laughs> yeah it's... have you become more fussy about your setup though as you've learned more like uh i'm definitely fussy by no means um but i definitely know what i like i mean the most I guess the only thing I can think of off the top of my head is my brake levers have to be a certain level, but not like to the minute detail. I just, if I can feel that they, they feel about right. And that's, that's me good to go. Um, but yeah, I, I am trying to educate myself in terms of, especially like with the, the field getting so tight at the moment, especially in the women's, like I feel like everything counts. Yeah. So to educate myself, into everything is quite important to anything that's going to make you go a little bit faster is is worth it nowadays like for sure so definitely going to do a bit of setup uh this off season with Taj and Jules at Fox because they only live an hour away from us at the moment so um they're they're nice enough to help us with that which is exciting good stuff yeah get the suspension working well yeah nice so yeah 2020 was a bit of a non-event for most of the planet so we'll skip we'll skip that in any yeah, detail let's skip that one. <laughs> um but yeah coming into 2021 you picked up some support from privateer bikes didn't you how, how did that come about yeah um uh i can't remember who approached who to be honest but um for me it was nice to be involved with a, a smaller bike brand um obviously it's all based in the uk which is super exciting and like the views that they have in in terms of they just want affordable bikes for people to get like to be able to race race enduro on which is which is cool and and they've done just just that and there's definitely more and more of them popping about which yeah. is which is cool to see um and yeah and they they were supporting me with a, with a bit of cash to help me get to the races which was obviously really important for me um and obviously on the hump wheels as well uh yeah and it was cool to be a part of because i could work really closely with them um like i say because it was all in how like in the uk yeah nice but you're still working right to to kind of fun things and, and yeah. make it all, all function what is it you do? yeah um so i'm actually a personal trainer at home so pretty much just shout at people, tell them what to do, which I'm good at. <laughs> I'm good at telling people what to do. Um, and yeah, so running running little um, circuit classes in the little village hall, which is uh, so good to see because I, I actually really enjoy people like progressing, which I do see a lot. And so, yeah, it's a little passion of mine for sure. Um, but yeah, it's good. Nice. And do you find it hard being with Bex, right? Because she's she's got a pro contract, I guess. She's not having to go out and work to keep the racing dream alive. You're yeah. both doing effectively the same thing, but you're you're still having to go out to work and and piece it all together that way. Does that yeah. like is that frustrating at times, or does it actually make things easier? Uh, it's not frustrating. 
I see it as I'm like definitely a good few years behind Bex. Not that she'd like to admit that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, I guess because I'm a bit younger, so I'm only 23 Uh um, and still very new to the sport. I actually find it really motivating because like I know I'm on that ladder and at some point, I don't want it to sound arrogant, but I will be like in them in her shoes. Yeah. Uh, well, that's the end goal, of course. Um, so I do actually find it really motivating, and yeah, I guess I don't know. It's hard to explain. It's hard to explain because, like, I'm really happy with where I am at the moment and this year, and don't have as much pressure to like go out and and like top up the cash as such doing a normal job uh-huh. um but but i do enjoy it as well because it's a good distraction yeah um because I, I think it'd be quite intense to to only think about training um which as a like a, a, if you're on a pro team that is what it is so i guess it's it also like takes a bit of pressure off me without me realizing probably um because yeah. i do have other things like to think about like oh right i've got i've got to plan that session because i've got i've got them classes to do this week so it's quite a good thing to sit down and do to take your mind off things for sure um and i really enjoy it at the end of the day i think even if i was on a pro team i think i'd i think i'd st- <laughs> i'd still be plugging away telling people what to do um yeah do you think you feel less pressure from the kind of social media side of things when you're not a pro in a pro deal or do you almost feel more pressure because you feel you've got to grow that side alongside your results like how do you look at that side of things yeah that's a good question I'd say hmm, I'd say it's all probably more pressure uh purely because like you said like I'm trying to build uh, build myself up to hopefully obviously be on a pro team so I guess it's like tr- I'm constantly trying to get my name out there and trying to like put cool stuff out there but I guess I don't see it as pressure because like I do enjoy doing it mm-hmm. and I think it's important obviously it's very important for for our jobs um but also I want I like to put out stuff that's true to myself like I, I see a lot of people like following trends or like who can get the biggest shroud round a corner. Like you've all seen that on Instagram, and <laughs> and I am not the one that's going to be doing that. There's no fat shroud from me, sorry. Um, so I think it's quite important to get your own personality across because I think a lot of people can get tied into this kind of fake reality of Instagram, which. Yeah. isn't real life unfortunately um as much as we might think it is um like everyone only puts their good stuff on instagram but why is that like that's not real life like True. if you've got a, a sick clip or whatever how many times has it taken you to get that sick clip yeah. do you know what i mean yeah. um so for me it's it's quite important to to be original and 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 show every aspect of it like and People don't realize, I guess it goes back to go on. Like 
people don't realize like people love that stuff like someone falling off their bike because they've tried something that's quite clearly impossible for them so so I think it's being original in that sense and and showing people like that you do fail like it's not all hunky-dory it's not all like what you see on Instagram um so yeah I quite like showing I guess showing my personality through through my social media is quite important to me um and yeah try trying not to get sucked into um like posting the same sort of stuff that other people would post as such uh-huh. yeah it's a lot to balance though isn't it to try and get to that point where a pro team's gonna show interest because it's not it 100 percent. it's not just results these days it seems to be anyway yeah no for sure um i think it's getting more and more towards the social media side of stuff which is a little bit scary especially for me because i am a racer through and through so it's quite yeah. scary like how many years down the line is it going to be that maybe brands won't actually be that interested in racing which is quite a scary thought for sure because that is i mean that's what mountain biking to me is built off of yeah is yeah. the racing and and like i say especially for someone like me that's raced like pretty much their whole life is quite a scary thought but i think there'll always be a time and a place for racing for sure um well, let's hope so. Fingers crossed anyway. Definitely, um, definitely. Well, yeah, let's talk a bit about the racing then. So how how was 2021 from your perspective? Yeah, it started all right. Um, I guess, again, from the the season of 2020, it was almost like starting fresh again because we'd not raced for so long. So it was, yeah. it, was, it was a hard start to the season, I remember. I remember it being a hard start to the season. And then... I mean, halfway through the season, I broke my wrist in Ludenville, yeah. which was obviously less than ideal and really frustrating for me because still, like, I'm just trying to get more and more experience at races. Um, so, yeah, to crash in Ludenville and, and break my wrist halfway through the season was really frustrating, um, especially for the rounds that were coming up because, like, Crans Montana was more like, bike parky style with jumps and drops and stuff so to to go there and have to watch was pretty painful for me because <laughs> I was like oh, if there was a round that I wanted to do this probably would have been it um so yeah but I mean it, it's all part of part of the game isn't it unfortunately everyone gets injured at some point and it's it's how you deal with it I mean I definitely learned a lot from from just watching the races it's quite yeah. a quite eye-opening to actually obviously because I was already out there so it was like I'm, I'm going anyway um so yeah to be able to watch from an outsider's point of view I've probably learned a lot from without realizing which it, I'll definitely like I definitely think about and because watching everybody individually like I say there's not like watching you don't realize how much faster one person is because they everyone looks generally like the same or and yeah so I spent quite a lot of time watching actually on climbs because generally that's probably where most of the time's getting made up so like a mid-stage climb yeah 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 so like obviously Hattie has come in and and dominated quite a few of the rounds and yeah and obviously we all think she's she's so fit and obviously comes from XC and and watching on the climb it's it's pretty visible um so yeah definitely taking things from what I've 
watched uh, last season into my training this off season, which is quite exciting. Um, yeah. So yeah, and then obviously managed to get back for Tweed Valley. I couldn't, I couldn't miss a home race, could I? So um, how, how, yeah, how bad? Home. How bad was the break? Like what? So what it was happened? my loon. It was my lunate bone. Uh-huh. Um, so the bone next to your scaphoid, which obviously you don't want to break your scaphoid. Um, so it was the lunate bone. It was it was only a very small fracture, so like a hairline fracture. Um, but you wouldn't believe the amount of pain that <laughs> such a small bone in your wrist could could create. Because uh, when I did it, I was like, "Oh no, I'm fine, I'm fine." Like got back on to carry on practicing, and, that. and I was like, "No, there's there's something not right." And obviously, that was what it was. And yeah, I mean, still, I'm still getting a little bit jip from it even now. So. Yeah, it's really frustrating. It's a frustrating thing because it's, like you say, it's such a small, small break and such a small bone. It's like, how can that create so much? Like, how can that aggravate like your wrist so much? And yeah, which is, which is annoying. But yeah, how did you adapt your training then through that middle part of the year to kind of stay fit enough to be able to race when you came back, but to work around that that injury? Yeah, so. Um, we got back from the trip out in Europe, which is where I broke my wrist, and I spent a good few weeks like just resting because I was like, I can't actually do anything because it's because it's so like I couldn't hold on to anything. Like the grip, all my grip strength had gone. Um, I spent a few like did a few sessions on the turbo before Tweed Valley, and I was like, I'm just gonna have to do it because. It's a home race. Like I now live in in Leland. Like I cannot miss this race. Uh, so yeah, I, I pretty much like was just like right. I'm just going to race it and see what happens. And got my best result yet. So I'm. <laughs> I can't complain with. I can't complain with that. Just coming back off a wrist injury as well. It's quite. It was nice to end the season on a high and a glimpse of what what is quite clearly possible for me. Um, yeah, which, it was fifteenth place, right? Yeah, fifteenth, which which um, I was so so buzzing on and so stoked because especially the circumstances, like coming into it, not obviously not being very fit and not having done much, and the wrist was still like obviously not a hundred percent. So yeah, to end the season like that and go into off season knowing that in the back of my mind was was really good. I think if I'd not done that race, I think I'd. have come into the off season with a, with a different outlook because I'd not come off the back of that. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm really glad I did that race and what a great event. Like I'm sure everybody that came down would, would, will agree. Like so good to see so many people out in them woods. Like, and, and everyone said it even like, not even just British riders, everyone, like all the Canadians, everyone said like, it weren't. It wasn't even people just shouting. It's people shouting people's names. Yeah, yeah. Like people were so like clued up on who was coming down the hill next, which is which we don't get that very often. So, yeah, to for everyone to say that as well just makes it more special because it wasn't. It wasn't just us that realised it. it. Was like everybody were just like, oh my god, this is amazing. Like this is so good. Like how often do we get people shouting our names down the track? Which is something very special and. I can't wait for it to start here next, next, well, this year, should I say. 
yeah the turnout given the weather as well like it wasn't the nicest day to be on the hill and yet no. so many people were out across all yeah. the stages right yeah so so good so good do you do you think there's much advantage to like having a, a race in your in your home terrain like how or how much disadvantage do you think there is to riders that have come in from out of town like is the practice adequate yeah i think i'd say i mean it definitely helps for sure especially somewhere like in leatham where it's such a different type of riding uh-huh. like like nothing you get anywhere else like tight twisty trees like you don't you just don't get that many other places so of course it, it must be an advantage for sure but then but then the level is so high. I don't know how much of an advantage it is. Like, look how close, like, Bex and Hattie was. It, like, I, it, I mean, it can't make a great deal of difference because everyone's going so fast now. Like, yeah, yeah. everyone's going so fast. Um, so, yeah, you wonder how much of a difference it makes. I mean, in my head, it must make quite a bit of difference, like, roughly knowing where you're going, whereas, like, everyone help. else yeah. is... Yeah, whereas everyone else has practiced. Well, obviously, a few people have been here before, but when when we go to other places and you only get to practice track once, and then you've got to go as fast as you can down that track, like I'd say, a locals' knowledge definitely helps. But yeah, yeah, interesting. So I'm planning on having a crack at the EWS 100 at Tweed Valley Oof. this year, which I'm quite scared about, but I'm looking forward to. <laughs> any any top tips? Top tips, uh, take snacks. <laughs> yeah, Beth said exactly the same thing, yeah. <laughs> make sure you've got plenty of snacks. I'd say make sure you're managing your water. Like, okay. make sure you know where the water stations are because the last thing you want to do is run out of water. Yeah. So, as soon as you – because I've experienced it in the past. I'm talking from past experiences. Um, I used to go through a phase of cramping really bad um so electrolytes in your water yeah for sure making sure you're drinking enough of that water um and plenty of sweeties and snacks to keep you going yeah what's your go-to for riding snacks uh so actually i work with ote um, which i swear by um they're duo bars they're like kind of like a rice crispy bar so they're actually like really easy to eat when you're riding because I find a lot of a lot of bars you come come across like when you're trying to eat and ride, it's not the nicest thing anyway. And the last yeah. thing you want is some dry bar like when you're like <laughs> trying to eat, <laughs> trying to eat your bar. Been there, done that, got the t-shirt. But yeah, something light to be able to eat is is key. I'd say. Got yeah. All right. So you're not stuff. choking. So you're not choking on your dry bar halfway up the hill. Yeah. Good advice. And anything that you think like setup wise for the tweed valley and it's relatively steep i guess but did you do anything different to your bike that you, than what you do elsewhere uh i didn't change my bike i mean pro- probably because i live here so it's already set up to yeah to suit the trails but i'd say cut your bars down <laughs> narrow bars yeah get through them <laughs> yeah. trees narrow bars and recently actually i've started using the hand guards which okay. i find really useful up here um purely because you're constantly clipping your bars on trees up here um so i use i use the avs uh hand guards yeah that that i've been really enjoying actually i mean 
two reasons. Uh, I mean, the main reason I use them is to protect brake levers when you crash. Yeah. So, I mean, if you crash and you snap a brake lever, that's pretty much end of brace. Um, and, and touch wood, I'm touching my head, um, I've not snapped a brake lever since since running them, So, okay. um, which I used to do quite often in the past. <laughs> um, so I find them pretty cool. And and also just clipping clipping bars and not having to smash your little finger is, is quite nice. <laughs> okay, you found it saves that, yeah? Yeah, yeah, because... Because when you clip the actual handguard, it kind of makes you react, whereas normally you just hit your finger and there's no time to react, yeah, right? Okay. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah. So you kind of clip that and obviously then react without really realising you've reacted. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I've been, I've been, I've been enjoying ride, riding with them on. Do you find that it helps keep your hands a bit warmer in the, in the winter, like keeping the wind off? Or Yeah, I think it probably does. Um, I don't really suffer with cold hands anyway, so... Um, it probably doesn't make much difference for me, but I know Bex has struggles with cold hands, and when she when she wore them, she said that um, it helped with her cold hands. Okay. So yeah, maybe. Well, I'll have to give some a go. Mm. And what's what's the plan for twenty twenty two then? Are you stepping things up a little bit? Yeah. So uh, same same as before. So full EWS season, um, but this year I'm actually on board with Scott. So Scott nice. bikes. So I'm really excited about that um it's nice to i guess i'm slowly but surely moved my way up the ladder in terms of obviously scott's a bigger profile brand and obviously proven bikes as well yeah. um so to be on board with them I'm, I'm really happy with and i've been riding the bike for the ransom bike for a while now and uh-huh. really getting on with it with the mullet set up so uh, okay you've gone to mullet yeah um Full twenty. I mean, I might, I might change because it's quite easy to change. It's just a flip chip, uh-huh. so it's quite nice to have the freedom of. I mean, maybe some rounds I'll run it full twenty nine, and maybe some rounds I'll run it as a mullet. But yeah, I'm really enjoying the mullet. So like, so much easier to throw around, and I mean, I'm quite a short, short person anyway. So the twenty nine, I was just constantly like buzzing my bum on the back tire, which yeah, and like in tighter, awkward stuff, feeling a bit clumpy. And the mullet just feels like I don't know if it just suits my riding style or or it's the answer for shorter riders. I don't know, but I'm I'm loving it at the minute. What would make you go back to full twenty nine then? What kind of characteristics of a venue would push you back that way? I guess um the main reason I'd probably change back was if it'd be like more flat out alpine riding, which uh-huh. obviously we do we do go to quite a lot. Um I guess the mullet setup just doesn't feel as stable if you're going like flat out. Yeah. Um, whereas the 29er obviously picks up speed a lot easier on them flat out sections, but also feels a lot more stable. Um, so I guess it'd be a toss up between the two. I'm yet to do some timing, to be honest. I, I want to do some timing to see, to see what is faster. Cause obviously if you've, if you feel good, it might not necessarily be faster, but then, but then I feel like as soon as I get into tight, a twisty stuff, it would suit me better. So it's like so hard to decide because I guess it's you've got to compromise somewhere to a certain yeah, degree. For sure, hard to know what to time on as well, right? You could time on one yeah. track and be quicker on the twenty nine, exactly. and time on another and be faster on the mullet. So yeah, yeah, it's so, it's so hard, but I guess that's part of the puzzle, isn't it? 
all part of the fun. Yeah. Do you enjoy yeah. that, the puzzle side of it? Uh, not really. <laughs> I'm not even, I'm not even going to lie to you and say, uh, I think, I think it's, it's hard because does anybody know what, like what puzzle is the right puzzle or what does work? I don't think anybody does. So, but I guess it's personal preference as well. Like for yeah. me, I'd rather, I'd much rather feel, com- if I feel comfortable, like, nine out of ten times I'm probably going fast whereas like if I feel uncomfortable that kind of plays on my mind a little bit yeah um so I think even if even if like if I timed something and hadn't seen the time and someone said that's faster if psychologically I think that's faster I'm probably going to go faster because someone's told me that it's so I think it's a mental battle I think more more than anything um yeah fair play and who else is supporting for 2022 then you got scott on board are there other other brands helping out you mentioned yeah. ATE, but yeah so i'm still on board with um hunt wheels which oh, nice. i'm excited about because i've been with them a few years now and uh, a good relationship with them and i mean i can't fault the wheels so that's always a bonus that you don't need to you don't need to worry about wheels at races it's quite important as a privateer um <laughs> so so yeah hunt wheels uh, Scott obviously has the frame um, PNW components. Oh, nice, yeah. Um, again, I've been working with them for a while, and and I really love their products and uh, their brand as a whole has such like same morals to to what I have, and yeah, and, and they seem like a great bunch of guys as well. Um, yeah, and then Schwalbe tires, so oh. they're they're rubber this year, which. Again, I've been with them a couple of years and and love love their tires. Um, I'm actually on Seven Mesh clothing this year. Uh, okay, it's a smaller brand, but yeah. Um, so yeah, just recently um, gone with them guys, and the products are so good, it's like such high quality stuff. Um, and again, they seem like a great, great bunch of guys too. Uh, and then 100% helmets, and obviously Scott with the protection because they do protection and uh and yeah i'm trying to think if i mentioned everyone i feel like i'm gonna <laughs> get stumped out <laughs> so i'm gonna have a message like you didn't even mention us um but i think i think that's everyone that's the main cool. main ones anyway yeah and what are the what are the hopes and dreams for the season then for 2022 uh so this year i'm aiming for top 15 um so that's like the goal to get within the top 15. I think I've slowly but surely been working my way up to that. And this right. year, um, I'm hoping that's going to be, I guess I, I'm wanting to be more consistent this year rather than just a standout result. For me, it's obviously with Enduro, it's whoever's the most consistent. So I feel like I should only look at it like that anyway. Yeah. So like top 15 in the overall, I'd be really happy with, really happy with. And I guess just making sure like, at the end of every race, I know that I've rode how I know I can ride. I guess I get a few a few races in the past. I've I've kind of felt a bit deflated in terms of finished a race and gone. Oh, I just know I could have done better, which is really frustrating. Really frustrating. But I'm hoping this year I can kind of piece everything together. I guess the main main thing in 
past seasons has just been experience and uh-huh. just making silly mistakes. And I think I've got enough experience behind me now where I I know what should work for me. And yeah, again, playing to your strengths, I guess, trying not to like, it's so hard in enduro because obviously you know you're against the clock and the tra- the stages are normally quite long. So you kind of go through phases of like feeling smooth and consistent and then and then thinking, oh, I'll let off the brakes here. And then you just end up ruining ruining the next corner. And then it's like, oh, yeah. and then and then and then you've ruined that corner. So then you try and let off the brakes a bit more because you're like, oh, I've just lost time there. And then ruin another corner. And then it's just kind of a vicious cycle. So for me, I think it's trying to be, I really want to try and stay relaxed when I'm in a stage because as soon as I'm against the clock, I'm just like, my head just feels like it's like, ah! like that's literally what it feels like, like <laughs> jittery in my brain. And yes, yeah, so I want to get used to that feeling of like being against the clock and not having to feel like your brain needs to be going a hundred mile an hour. I guess yeah. learning to be, I mean, I'm sure people are aware of like the flow state. I don't know if, yeah, you've, yeah. if you've heard of this before, but but trying to get into that flow state of, well, you're in a flow and like everything's coming at you actually slowly because you're in yep. such a in such a different state of mind. I guess to get to that point, at most races, I'd be really happy with and just not not just going a hundred mile an hour in my brain. Fair play. <laughs> what sort nice. of stuff are you doing then through the off season to try and help get yourself in that position? Yeah. So. Um, just started working with Johnny at Fit for Racing. Uh-huh. Um, so he's actually doing my full full pl- training plan, um, which I've not had a coach before, well, in mountain biking anyway. So it's a new setup for me and a welcome change, if I'm honest. Before I was coaching myself, so you're trying to be an athlete and a coach and working the self, like self-employed job to keep, yeah. keep money coming in. And that is such a big ask on yourself, like you don't realise. Whereas now, this off-season, letting Johnny deal with planning the training and I just have to turn up and do it. And it's such a better feeling and such so much less stress. Because before I was always like, well, am I even doing the right thing? Should I be doing that? Or maybe I've not done enough of this. I'm <laughs> probably actually ending up over-training because, yeah, yeah. because of that. Um so to have Johnny in my corner, I'm really, really buzzing with him. We get on really well and we're very similar in some respects. So it's quite nice that, that we get on as well. It's not just a rider and a coach. It's a friend as well. Cool. Um, so that's quite important. And so, yeah, doing stuff with Johnny is cool and a totally different style of training to what I've done in the past. So Johnny comes from a CrossFit background. So I'm sure you can imagine. With, with, I'm sure you can imagine the horrible things that he makes us do. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, really enjoying it. And and like I say, such a different style of training, but a good one for sure. Yeah. Like we go down once a week to see Johnny actually at his gym and and do a session with him. And and like the point that he manages to get us to is a point we'll never feel in racing which is nuts um like we're literally just burying ourselves to the point where the other week like I pretty much went green and couldn't move for about half an hour um so I I just see it as if I can get 
myself to that point in training, then surely that's only going to make racing easier. Uh-huh. And that's what yeah. they say, right? Train hard, yeah. race easy. So yeah. hopefully, hopefully that we're living by that motto this year. Nice. <laughs> um, Are there any any other gaps that you're sort of looking to close, whether that's like physically or mentally or like skills wise? Yeah, um, I guess mentally I, I want to do more like time stuff because like I say, I feel like as soon as I put it like a line under it that, okay, you're timing this trail, I do kind of go into not panic mode, but like probably like overexcited mode, but then actually end up making mistakes. Like the other week, Johnny said to like go out and time three trails I think I crashed on two of the three trails just because <laughs> just because Johnny had told me to time it. So I've got to go as fast as I can, <laughs> like just like just silly stuff like that. I'd like to just get used to, but I guess that's gonna kind of fallen into our favour because the first round isn't until the first weekend in June, yeah. And obviously it starts here in Inleatham. So there's actually quite a few UK races I'd like to do before okay. before obviously the big the big EWS kicks off um which will be nice and a welcome change because obviously when the season normally starts in march that is your first race yeah which is pretty daunting whereas if i can get a few a few uk races in before i think that'll that'll be good a bit more time against the clock yeah exactly good stuff it sounds like it's shaping up to be uh to be a good season so we should wrap up pretty soon but before we do that we've got four questions that we've asked pretty much everyone so we'll hit those up the first of those is if our listeners had 150 pounds to spend to improve their performance on a bike what would you recommend they go and spend it on Ooh. Ooh. good question <laughs> i feel like i feel like i'm going to say something just because just because of what we've just been talking about and it's a really bad plug <laughs> But fit for racing membership. Uh-huh. Um that sounds like I'm really like bigging up Johnny here, but I'm sure he'll love that. Um but actually like I mean even when I'm training people at home, a lot of the people I coach at home um are mountain bikers and they see such a difference in just doing a like one class a week where you doing something slightly different to what you're normally doing and building strength. And they come back and they're like, oh, my God, I've been out on my bike this weekend and I feel so much stronger and so much better and it's so good to see. And I, that's exactly what Johnny's doing, obviously, just on their website and uh, and program. I think they do a program for the month or something. Uh-huh. Um, and I think people don't realise that just like, even if you just do one session a week, it'll make you feel so much better on the bike. Like it's not all about smashing time on the bike. Like you do have to get stronger away from the bike to be able to feel strong on the bike. So yeah, I think, sure. so yeah, I'd, I'd say that actually. All right. Good stuff. Second question. If you could wind back the clock and sit down with yourself age 16, what advice would you give her? Ooh. Oh, you've stumped me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I just, I just, 
guess just keep do keep doing what I was doing, like because I wouldn't want to change anything I'd done at that age. Because I just remember like being so into the BMX side of stuff at that age, and I probably actually probably probably tell myself to be a bit more like just have fun. So uh-huh. probably at that age, I was like, and I just wanted to be at the top of BMX and probably put a lot of pressure on myself. So I think probably just saying like, it is just riding your bike and it it is meant to be fun. Because especially like nowadays you see a lot of like pushy parents like trying to push their kids into being probably what they wanted to be. And it kind of takes the fun out of it. And I hate it. It really grinds my gears when I see stuff like that because I just think the poor kid just quite clearly enjoys riding their bike. I just let them have fun. So I think I'd just say, like, just remember, it is just riding your bike. Like, it is meant to be fun. Good advice. I like it. Question three, if you could have a coaching session from anyone, past or present, who would it be and what would you want to learn from them? Ooh. You can have more than one if you want. Hmm. I mean, one person came to my head and Cade Edwards and his like skills on a bicycle. I mean, I'm not saying he'd be able to teach me much because I think it'd take a miracle to get to the point where Cade is, but (laughs) Cade is the one person like I follow on social media and I'm just like in awe of like so talented on a bike. And (laughs) I mean, I don't know what he'd teach me, but to be able to whip or do some of the half the things he can do on a bike would be would be pretty cool <laughs> yeah he's got some skills for sure on any kind of bike as well it's crazy isn't it like yeah, yeah talent big raw, talent yeah, raw talent for sure all right yeah. last one what do you do every day that you feel benefits you can i say the first thing that came to my head yeah a brew <laughs> <laughs> just being able to sit down I mean we sound like grannies but me and Bex do often just like just have to put the kettle on and just come and sit on the sofa and drink a brew and that kind of resets the next part of the day (laughs) we do sound like we're about 80 something mine it's all good I guess that's the Yorkshire coming through right that's the Yorkshire coming through yeah Yorkshire tea or no tea (laughs) are you all right you've got good supplies of Yorkshire tea up there yeah yeah, yeah, we've got a big bag in the cupboard. We're doing all right. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff. All right, well, it's been super interesting chatting and finding out a little bit more about you. And, um, yeah, if people want to follow you throughout the year, where's the best place for them to head? Yeah, I guess my Instagram account, which is Chloe Taylor underscore 84, I think. Okay, yeah, <laughs> I'll, I'll find it and I'll put a link in the show notes so people can find that. Uh, but yeah thanks it's been awesome i hope that the season treats you well look forward to seeing how you get on in the tweed valley and beyond once the racing gets going and uh yeah best of luck thanks very much chris nice one cheers cheers bye all right that's it for this episode with chloe i really hope you've enjoyed it a big thanks to Shimano for supporting this episode. I've been really impressed with their new gravity-focused flat pedal shoot, the GR9, which features their brand new gravity-optimized Old Tread sole. They're super comfy, grippy, and have loads of nice design features. 
The GR9 is available now from your local Shimano dealer, and you can check them out at mtb.shimano.com. Also, a big thanks to We Are One Composites for supporting the episode. As a downtime listener, you can get 15% off all of their awesome rim-only products for the month of March. All you need to do is to use the code WEARRIMS2022. That's WEARRIMS, all one word, all lowercase, followed by the number 2022 at the checkout over on weareonecomposites.com. If you like print and you want a quality mountain bike print product in your life, then the brand new biannual downtime EP is for you. It's a collab with the awesome team over at Miss Spent Summers, so if you've ever read Hurley Burley, The World Stage, Spent or Meltdown, then you'll know just how good downtime EP will be. You can head to downtimepodcast.com forward slash EP now to either subscribe where you'll immediately get sent a copy of EP1 and EP2 will follow, or you can just grab yourself a copy of EP1 and have a look. Also, my full range of merch is ready to go over at downtimepodcast.com forward slash shop. There's t-shirts, sweatshirts, shorts and joggers and all the proceeds go to help improving the show. All the links you need are in the show notes for this episode over on downtimepodcast.com. All right, last thing, please, if your riding mates aren't already listening to the podcast, then please let them know what they're missing out on. Spreading the word like that is a massive help to me as it's ultimately you lot listening that enables me to keep going. All right, we've got another awesome episode coming up really soon, but until then... Get out and ride.